This is Equipping Eve, the podcast that seeks to equip women with fruits of truth from God's Word. In his second letter to the Corinthians, the Apostle Paul wrote, But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. A sincere and pure devotion to Christ begins by being grounded in his word. So let's open our Bibles, ladies, and prepare to feast on the truth God has given us. Well, hello, ladies, and welcome to Equipping Eve, the show that seeks to equip you with fruits of truth from God's word. I am Erin Benziger. I am your host this week and every week. Lucky you. Check out the website. Equipping Eve has its own website. It is, you guessed it, equippingeve.com. So I want you to go there if you haven't already because I just want to see a lot of people visit my website. No, that's not it at all. But I think there's a lot of material there that you might find useful. So not just the podcasts, all now 90 of them. This is episode 90. Can you believe it? So because we only air the show every other week in general, um, (laughs) Equipping Eve has been on for a few years now, but we're only to episode 90. But that's okay. Slow and steady, right? As long as we remain faithful and by God's grace, that is what the show aims to do. So 90 episodes available to you there. Um, The blog has some material that I think you'll find encouraging and edifying. And this month especially, we're talking April of 2019, there has been a series running at the Equipping Eve blog on the I Am statements of Jesus. And I hope you'll find it encouraging and interesting. Um, I loved doing uh, the research to write there. They're just the really short articles. So it's not like you need to pack a lunch to go read these. Um, I've been posting a couple each week. And, uh, you know, I, I hope you enjoy reading them as much as I enjoyed writing them. So take a look at those and take a look at the resources page where there are links to a host of other ministries and podcasts for you to uh, learn from and from which you may glean more insight into the scripture. Okay, so that's my commercial for the website. So speaking of the podcast, here's an announcement that you might not be aware of. It's been around for almost a month now, but that's okay. Uh, If you're not aware of it, now you can be. Equipping Eve has its own podcast on iTunes. So, uh, you know, up until this point, we've been part of the No Compromise Radio podcast. And uh, I'm very thankful to Mike Abendroth and to the team for that opportunity and uh, for kind of fitting me into their schedule there every couple of weeks. That's been awesome. Um, But I do get requests from ladies from time to time saying, you know, do you have your own podcast? And I don't think it's any offense to Mike and the gang at NoCo at all. I think it's just easier to find, you know, the the Eve episodes if uh, they're all in one place. So, uh, So Equipping Eve does have its own podcast on iTunes that you can go ahead and subscribe to. And every episode is on there. So they are all available to you to download on iTunes as well. You don't have to go to the website anymore. So that's kind of exciting. That was a little nerve-wracking for me to set that up on iTunes. I don't know why. It just felt 
weird. Uh, so anyway, but it's it's all done now and it's there for you to subscribe to. So I hope you'll take advantage of that as well. I hope that's convenient for some of you, perhaps a little more convenient than it's been in the past. All right, so let's jump in. Last episode, we talked about Jesus as the Good Shepherd. And so that kind of prompted me to post those articles on the I Am Statements of Jesus, because that's where we get the Good Shepherd. I am the Good Shepherd, right? And so that's kind of the uh, motivation behind that. And so in that episode, we saw how Jesus came to fulfill what had been prophesied in Ezekiel 34, that while Israel spent many generations with false shepherds, as Ezekiel 34 described, Jesus came and tenderly told them in John 10 that he was and that he is, ladies, still today, the good shepherd. And we even looked, if you remember, if you listened to that episode, we even looked very briefly at Psalm 23. I mean, what do you think of when you think of a shepherd, you know, and that imagery? And many of us would think of Psalm 23, um, just the way that that psalm describes the Lord's care for his sheep. And we saw how it does describe a good shepherd and how that is all perfectly fulfilled in Christ. So I hope you had an opportunity to listen to that episode, ladies, because when I was talking about the Good Shepherd in the back of my head, I was thinking, oh, we have to take this another step. We have to talk about the Lamb of God. And it seems fitting, doesn't it? Because this episode is airing the day before Easter here in 2019. And so I'm sure many of you aren't listening to it this weekend. And that's good. That's completely fine with me because I think we have more important things to do this weekend. And um, I would certainly prefer that you spend your weekend time in worship and with your family and remembering our, our Lord's sacrifice and his resurrection, um, without which we could not be saved. And, um, but perhaps you're listening to this the week after. And so this is still appropriate timing as far as I'm concerned, because it's all spring and it's all Easter and don't get me started on the resurrection day thing. Um, let's not get legalistic in our words. Um, if you want to call it Easter, go for it. If you want to call it resurrection day, go for it. Just as long as you understand the true meaning behind it and keep that at the forefront of your activities. So with that background of last week and uh, that little lead in, I want us ladies to turn to Revelation 7. We're gonna start in the back of the Bible today and kind of work our way to the front. So we're kind of gonna do some some, um, backward flipping through scripture. So turn to Revelation 7. I'm going to start reading from verse 9, and I'm reading from the ESV today, ladies. Revelation 7, verse 9. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, 
who are these clothed in white robes and from where have they come? I said to him, sir, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of their throne, of the throne, will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. I kind of hear a little throwback to Psalm 23 in there just a little bit. Verse 17, though, ladies, for the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. Who's this lamb? Who is this lamb? If you turn back a page or two in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 5, we might get a clue. Verse 1, then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly, because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Who is this lamb? Who is this lamb who was slain? Well, ladies, here's the thing. You get one guess on that. And while you're guessing, turn back to John 1, the Gospel of John. We've been reading from Revelation, which was written by the Apostle John, uh, the same author, human author anyway, of the Gospel of John. And I'm going to start reading here from verse 19. And this is the testimony of John, a different John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. So they said to him, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan, where John was baptizing.
verse 29. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. And we could go on because I love this story. And I love how the New Testament references to Jesus as the Lamb and the references to Jesus as the Lamb of God are found in John's writings. Because it's interesting, isn't it, that this is also where we see Jesus declaring that he is the good shepherd. It's later in John in verse uh, chapter 10. And I find it so fascinating in Revelation 17 how John referred to the Lamb who would be their shepherd. This is one and the same, isn't it? So like I said, last time we looked at the Good Shepherd, and today we look at the Lamb of God. It's the same person. It's our Savior. It's Jesus Christ. So let's step back even farther, ladies, and let's go all the way back to Genesis 22. Genesis 22, again, I'm reading from verse 1. I know a lot of reading today, but stay with me, ladies. 22 verse 1 of Genesis. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. He said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but... Where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. 
So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Ladies, this isn't just a story that's added to the text for us to marvel at, for us to praise God for his provision. This is a foreshadowing of God's provision of Christ, isn't it? I mean, just look at the text. Abraham, in his faith, said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. He, of course, was thinking, well, it will be my son, will be that lamb, but God will bring him back to life. Abraham had faith. But God did provide a lamb, quite literally, didn't he, for Abraham? The Lord will provide. Flip over to Exodus. And I, um, I'll try not to read so much here, but here in Exodus 11, this is where the Lord tells Moses about this final plague he's going to bring upon Egypt. Verse 4, Thus says the Lord about midnight, I will go out in the midst of Egypt and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill and all the firstborn of the cattle. There shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been, nor ever will be again. And in chapter 12, we turn the page and we see that God gives specific instructions to his people of Israel, doesn't he? So that they will be passed over in the midst of this destruction. He says in verse 3 of Exodus 12, Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's house as a lamb for the household. And so this lamb was to be without blemish. And they were to keep it in the house until the 14th day. And then they were to kill their lambs at twilight. And then they were to take blood and put it on the doorposts and the lintel of the house. And then eat the flesh at night. And there, and there were so many instructions, but this was about this Passover lamb. And this was instituted ultimately to point forward to the coming Messiah, whose blood would save those who were covered in it. Not save us from physical death, we're all going to die unless the Lord returns before it happens, but to save us from spiritual death. And indeed, didn't we read in Revelation about the robes of the martyrs that were dipped in the blood of the Lamb? And so the Israelites observed this Passover throughout the centuries. Jesus observed the Passover right up until the final one that he celebrated with his disciples. If you turn back to the New Testament to Luke 22, you'll see that. Verse 7, Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. Verse 14, And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him and said, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. 
For I tell you, I will not eat of it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you, from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And so they sat to celebrate the Passover, and Jesus took that opportunity and instituted what we know today as the Lord's Table, the Lord's Supper Communion, that ordinance that we observe in remembrance of Christ, in remembrance of what happened on Good Friday, right? The sacrifice of our Lord, because it was not long after this supper with his disciples that Jesus would be crucified, the Lamb of God, slain for the sins of the world, just as John had said. So I'm sure many of you are aware that we often refer to Jesus as the true Passover Lamb. As thousands of lambs were being slaughtered in Israel that day, the only one who could truly atone for sin was dying outside the gates of the city and perfectly fulfilling scripture. Scripture from the prophet Isaiah that said things like not one of his bones would be broken. Now, what's interesting about this idea of Christ as the Lamb of God is that I didn't really realize until I got into the study that there are multiple interpretations of this phrase and that people kind of pull from all these different texts talking about the Lamb and, you know, have built entire um, ideologies and theologies around this. And, you know, I think... Um, I think we see that foreshadowing in the texts that we've looked at with Abraham sacrificing, being willing to sacrifice Isaac and God providing a lamb. And then we see the Passover lamb that would save the Israelites from death. And so we see all of this foreshadowing. Um, and there's, like I said, multiple views. Apparently, Leon Morris, um, who's a great commentator from the past, um, at one time felt that there were at least 10 views of this idea of Jesus as the Lamb of God. And, and we're not going to go into all of those because I, I don't think it's uh, necessary at this point in time. Um, but I, kind of, I discovered that actually in a sermon from S. Lewis Johnson um, on the text from John 1. And what I appreciate about Johnson is he uh, just kind of distills it all down. And, you know, we can look at all of these different passages, many of which we've looked at here already today. Um, but he brings out uh, perhaps the most important connection for us to make as John the Baptist calls Jesus the Lamb of God. And in uh, Johnson's mind, this is the passage that John the Baptist had in mind when he proclaimed Jesus as that. And that passage is from the book of Isaiah. So Johnson says, he kind of takes this position because he's saying, you know, he calls himself, and we read this text, ladies, in John 1, that I'm the voice of the one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, right? So John the Baptist is saying, I'm that voice. Well, that's from Isaiah. And then shortly after that, 
in Isaiah's writings, we read about the suffering servant. And I'm sure many of you are familiar with Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 that prophesies our Lord's death and what that would look like. And, and um, you know, we could go into a very long teaching about Isaiah 53 and future meaning, uh, past meaning, current meaning, whatever. That's not what I'm going for today. I want us to think about how the suffering servant of Isaiah 53 is the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world as John the Baptist proclaimed him in the first chapter there of the book of John. Think about it in Isaiah 53 verse 7, speaking about the Savior, the suffering servant, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And so in S. Lewis Johnson's mind, John the Baptist might have had that particular passage in mind when he looked to Jesus as the Lamb of God because he had just proclaimed himself as the the forerunner, forerunner, the one, the voice crying in the wilderness. But, you know, where did Isaiah get this, this imagery of the Lamb being led to slaughter? Well, would it not very likely have been, perhaps from these passages we already read, where Abraham was about to offer up Isaac, and instead the Lord provided the ram in the thicket where the Passover lamb was ordered to be brought into the house and killed, and the blood spread on the doorposts and the lintel. This idea of a lamb as sacrifice was not new. It was instituted in the Old Testament. John the Baptist, the last Old Testament prophet, if you will, is saying, here's the final lamb. This is the lamb that truly can take away, that truly can bear the sins of the world. And so all those who believe upon Christ, their sins are washed away in the blood of the lamb. And just as the good shepherd has sheep, who are not just of the fold of Israel, but also from the the Gentile fold. And as that good shepherd will gather both Jew and Gentile together into one flock, just one, unity in Christ. So too did the Lamb of God, who is the good shepherd, purchase salvation with his blood for both Jew and Gentile alike. And we see that in Revelation, where we see that people from every tribe, tongue, and nation are there singing praises. For centuries, lamb after 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 lamb had been slain trying to atone for the sins of the people but the blood of bulls and goats can never take away the sins of man jesus was as charles spurgeon has said the matchless sacrifice the one atonement for human sin spurgeon says quote this was an extraordinary truth to john it took a miracle of grace to make a jew see the lamb which takes away the sin of the world 
because the Jew thought that the sacrifice of God must be only for his chosen people. And so that was a radical statement when John said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, declaring that Jew and Gentile can be saved by the blood of this Lamb. The Lamb. The Lamb of God. This is the fulfillment of the Passover, the final and true Isaac, the suffering servant who was led to slaughter. Quoting Spurgeon again, he says, All that you read of sacrifice and sin-bearing in the Old or New Testament, all that you have ever heard or ever shall hear of the putting away of sin, if it be true, is all centered in this line, Behold the Lamb. It is a great thing when we can focus our testimony upon a single point. Let every servant of God do so and bear his witness that there is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. There is no other purgation for sin in the whole universe save that great sacrifice which takes away the sin of the world. Continuing to quote Spurgeon, and we'll end with this, ladies. The best of all is that our Lord did not only bear the load, he took it away. He takes away the sin of the world. The sin which was laid upon Christ did not remain there. He took it away. It remains no more. We read in scripture many things about sin as that God forgives it, blots it out, forgets it, casts it into the sea, puts it behind his back, and a great many other expressive figures. But this is in some respects the best of them, says Spurgeon. He takes it away. Blessed be his name. My hearer, if you believe in Jesus, still quoting Spurgeon here, you need not ask, where is my sin? Jesus took it away. By bearing it, he bore it away. It is gone, gone forever, utterly abolished. The day comes when the sins of Jacob shall be sought for and they shall not be found. Yea, they shall not be, says the Lord. Our glory is that by the sacrifice of Christ upon the cross, sin was made an end of. He finished transgressions, made an end of sin, and brought in everlasting righteousness. This is a gospel worth believing, worth living for, worth dying for. Let all teaching be accursed that comes in opposition to it. Amen. Amen to that from Charles Spurgeon. This is a gospel worth believing, worth living for, worth dying for. Many men and women have died for this gospel, ladies, and we may not ever see that happen in our day, but is it not a gospel worth living for? And is it not a gospel worth sacrificing our comfort and our popularity for? And by that, I mean we take the chance and we share Christ with those around us, with those whom God would have us come in contact with, even if it might mean we lose a friend or start getting sideways glances. If God gives you opportunity to open your mouth and be faithful and obedient to him and proclaim the truth of his son, then you ought to do it. Then we ought to do it. It is our duty as daughters of the king. And this gospel, that Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man, would deign to come to earth, humble himself. He was in heaven 
We can't fathom heaven. We have little glimpses of it here and there of what our future inheritance is, but we cannot fathom it. Our brains would explode if we did. And yet Christ said, I will come to earth. I will live as a man. And I will die for those who belong to me. I will keep the law that they can't keep and die the death that they deserve. I will bear their sin and it will be gone. My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. And because Christ rose three days later, we know that we too shall rise and live and be with him forever. Because God accepted that sacrifice of the perfect lamb. He does not see our sin. If we have been saved, he does not see our sin. When he looks at us, he sees Jesus. He sees Jesus' righteousness. He sees us cloaked in it. That is a gospel worth living and dying for. That is a Christ. That is Jesus. That is one worthy of all honor, praise, glory, love, majesty. We could go on and on and on. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. All right, ladies, that's all for today. I hope you have a blessed Resurrection Day, a blessed Easter, whatever you want to call it. A wonderful time remembering our Lord's victorious resurrection. Don't just limit that celebration to one day a year. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. And that is true every single day of every single week of every single month of every single year. Amen to the Lamb of God. Until next time, ladies, get in your Bibles, get on your knees, and get equipped. Thanks for listening. (music) 